You're listening to Look at My Records. This is episode 216, and I'm your host, Tom Gallo. This episode of Look at My Records features an interview with Pascal Stevenson of Los Angeles's Fashion Club. Despite an extensive background playing music in various bands, including with critically acclaimed sub-pop recording artists Moaning, this project is Stevenson's first vessel for her own songwriting. Dark, brooding, and driven by her distinctively haunting voice, Stevenson's debut record as Fashion Club, which is titled Scrutiny, thrives off of a unique approach to production and songwriting that places an equal emphasis on pop, song structures, and lush but biting electronic soundscapes. During our interview, Stevenson and I discussed what it was like piecing together demos for the songs on Scrutiny while touring Europe with Moaning, the lyrical inspiration behind standout tracks like Pantomime, how the song Reaction, my personal favorite song on the record, almost didn't make the cut, and much more. Plus, Stevenson picked some awesome records from my collection, including choice cuts from Wire, Sade, and Kate Bush. We'll dive into our interview right after the jump. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of Look at My Records, they're available on all streaming platforms. Please remember to rate, review, like, and subscribe on your platform of choice. I also encourage you to check out the Look at My Records website, where you can find reviews, premieres of new music, playlists, and a whole lot more. Check it out at lookatmyrecords.com. All right. You're listening to Look at My Records. I'm here with Pascal Stevenson of Fashion Club. Their new record, Scrutiny, is out on Felt Records. This will be posted once it's out. So, you know, you know what I'm you know what I'm saying. But anyway, Pascal, really great to meet you. I've been listening to the record a lot. I love it a whole bunch how are you today i'm great how are you doing good very excited to talk about this project and the album your debut solo album as fashion club you've been in a lot of different projects most notably moaning great band that released two albums on sub pop Tell me a little bit about why you wanted to start this project as your solo project. Oh, um, I mean, I had been trying to get something off the ground for a long time. I mean, I've been writing songs pretty much as long as I've been playing. Yeah, I've been working on music on my own for a really long time. This is just the first thing that like uh, felt, felt good enough to release. But I've been making music and writing songs since I was probably since I was like 13 or 14 and started playing guitar probably earlier than that, honestly. Um, what? <laughs> sorry. Now I've kind of lost track. What did we, you said why, right? Oh yeah. Um, I kind of just feel like there was, it reached a point where I just 
needed like a little bit more um or i wanted i guess a little bit more like a project where i had control over every aspect of it and whatever like vision i had for the project wasn't being filtered through somebody else's tastes and perspectives um which i think that's the great thing about being in a band is that you kind of get to like take your ideas and filter them through other people and combine them and have this collaborative thing that ends up being a combination of everybody's tastes. But then the nice thing about doing a solo project is you really get to like hone in on exactly what you're interested in and like really just like full, fully go into that and be as nerdy about it as you want. Can you identify a turning point where since you're, saying that you've written your own music, worked on your own music since you were 14 years old. What was the turning point that you could maybe identify where you decided, okay, I'm ready to share something with the world? Yeah, I don't know. I think there was maybe a couple of songs that I wrote before any of the stuff that got on this record where I would, that I had actually showed people and I was like, oh, these aren't that bad. Yeah. Um, but I guess Pantomime was the first song that I wrote that would end up being on this record where I was like, oh, I actually like this and I don't feel embarrassed by any of the lyrics and and stuff like that. That's, And I feel like I'm singing in a way that I'm comfortable with. I think it was those two, like those were the main things. I've written a million songs that like instrumentally I was probably comfortable with, but it was mostly just like my singing voice and the lyrical content that I had to get to a place where I was like, okay, this feels good. And I, I actually feel like I can stand behind this. Since you played a big role in other projects, such as moaning, was there anything that you took away from those projects or observed while being in that band that you brought to your solo work, maybe as far as songwriting, recording or performing live? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I would say like a huge thing for me was that I we would demo everything for Moaning Records beforehand and I would do those demos and like kind of pre-produce and mix them. And I think that having that like that platform and opportunity to like work with those two and have them trust me to do all of this stuff for like making these demos and like making doing a lot of the like producing on the demos and like mixing and stuff on the demos for um a lot of the moaning stuff which i've done pretty much our entire like um career as a band really made me like more confident to do that kind of stuff for myself um and then just, I mean, I've played in bands with Sean and Andrew for years, like 12, 13, 14 years or something like that. So just, I think a lot of the like beginner band stuff that you have to learn as far as playing live and, um, you know, setting up shows, going on tour, all of that stuff just feels a lot less daunting because I've had these like people to kind of go through it with and learn with and like Sean was so Sean really had like a big managerial role in moaning where he would just do a lot of the booking and all of this stuff and like emailing people like that so kind of seeing him do all of that stuff 
I guess it, it there reached a point where I was like, okay, I think I could do this stuff on my own. Because that's honestly, like, at this point, I've, like, after writing a bunch of songs, kind of crossing that threshold of, like, being able to write songs on my own and stuff, I'm, like, more than comfortable doing that. <laughs> but it's it's still the, like, kind of... yeah the like boring businessy aspect of being in a band that honestly is so much of being in a band <laughs> like way more than you way more than you would want it to be when you start out making music that i've kind of like picked up on how to do a lot of that stuff just from being in a band and i know you you got sober before you really got into fleshing out this project how did that impact your songwriting and what direction did you see things turning in as a result of that lifestyle change um i mean it was i think for like most people sobriety is like so reflective and you're just like thinking about your your life and how you act and who you are as a person so much that it really gave me a lot to write about um, and then, I mean, I, f I feel like my work ethic was just a lot, like, so much better afterwards, so I was able to just, like, finish things so much faster, and actually finish things. And this is, again, the first project where you and your songwriting are front and center. What was that uh, transitional process like for you, and do you still find yourself getting used to, to that aspect of this project? Yeah, um, I mean, it was so slow into, you know, starting to write my own, like, what would become this record into getting it done and mixing it and all of that stuff that it didn't, f I don't know that I felt any, like, significant shift, but, um, I will, I mean, again, like, the biggest part of it was being like, oh, I'm on my own here. So things like touring feel a little bit more daunting. Like I'm about to go on this tour in August with Shamir and I'm just like, oh, wow. that's amazing. Like the idea of doing that with my own project, like the traveling and all of this stuff where it's really like, okay, I'm in charge here. I, I got to make sure everything goes right is like, uh, feels a lot more stressful. But I mean, I would say that was the that's been the biggest transition so far. How about the the sound of this record? It it's such it's really affecting when you listen to it as a listener. It's dark for sure. When you set out to to write these songs and piece them together, at the outset, did you have an idea of how you wanted this record to sound like, or did it kind of just come together the way it did. Yeah, I mean, I think there were maybe a few songs, I think maybe a few songs into writing this record, I was like, oh, here's the direction this is kind of going. Let me kind of like pull this thread and see where I end up. Um, and I feel like, I don't know. I think it, it, maybe it's just because of like, I think it's a combination of the way I'm singing on the record and like my like history of music listening and stuff, like things that I just can't shake, like The Cure or whatever, that I, yeah, I think it yeah. came, 
it comes off to other people as this like quote unquote post punk record, but I definitely set out to make this kind of like almost like seventiesy art, autori like art rock, yeah. Brian Eno, Colin Newman, like Kate Bushy, like weirdo kind of poppy rock record where I feel like on every song I'm trying to make like I'm trying to one make sure there is like a little nugget of a pop song underneath there and like a hook and stuff like that because I think that's really important and two like trying to make at least one like big weird decision like a weird sound or something that is just like too loud in the mix or like is just bizarrely mixed or something like that so i because i think that's what sticks with people ultimately that's what sticks with me at least i've i just can't listen to music that is just like one level all the way through there has to be something that pops out that is really just like oh i've never heard that before that like is weird or off-putting. <laughs> I, I definitely, I know what you're talking about for sure. And I'm curious as to, I'm sure for each song, it's a little different of what point in the process you injecting something like that comes into to play. Is that something where you have a song done and you're like, okay, I want to inject something in here that's a hooky, a little weird thing to, to put in there, kind of like a nugget type of yeah i mean or is it a little it's totally different for every song because i would say it for a lot of them it comes naturally in the in the process of putting the song together and like piecing together all of the instrumentation and arrangement and stuff um but for the few where it doesn't that's i think where you look back and you're like okay i like what's here I like the core of this song like the actual songwriting of this song because ultimately that's the most important part but you look back and you're like okay the song is good I can stand behind this but like what is going to pull somebody into this maybe that doesn't exist let me do something production wise or mix wise that's going to do that thing and that's so much you know that's so much easier to do when you're there for every step of it when you're not just kind of writing the song going in playing the instruments and recording and then letting somebody else do the rest like when you're doing it up through the mixing stage like there were songs that I got like almost to the end of mixing and then took a months off from and came back to and was like oh there's a part of this that isn't working I need to add something or I need to take something away or like something has to shift here yeah, that's another thing that I thought was really interesting about this record is that not only did you write and record all the songs, you produced and mixed everything yourself, uh, according to the liner notes on Bandcamp, at least. And I know for some artists, that could be really challenging to be so involved with the entire process because of the, you know, not to like use this word your scrutiny yeah. that you can apply to your own work if you're so involved with it and not necessarily passing it off to someone for part of the process. So what would you say were some of the challenges of that process and maybe but some of the benefits as well too? Yeah, I mean the benefits are 
I think just what I said, like you can really like nitpick until the very end and make sure that everything is exactly how you want it. And I think that's the biggest challenge as well is that you can nitpick yeah, till yeah. the very end. Um, but I think at some point, it's really, really difficult starting out, especially with like vocals and stuff like that. All of the really like the stuff that is so easy to be self-conscious about when you're first starting out, I think like mixing your own records and stuff, you're just like, Ugh, I can't, I can't do this. I can't listen to myself. Like everything about this is, um, is painful. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I think like the longer you do it, you, you start to gain objectivity a little bit. And I don't think you can ever fully like gain objectivity yeah. about your own creative output. But like, I think the more and more you do it, the more objectivity you gain. And like the, I think that just keeps making your, your output better and better. So there was definitely a point after making this record where I was like, I'm never going to mix any of my own music again. I'll just, I'll produce <laughs> it and I'll record it as best I can yeah. and then I'll pass it off to somebody else. And I, I absolutely would have other people mix stuff in the future just because I think that's a great like collaborative opportunity and I would work with produ yeah. other producers and stuff. But I think after a little bit and once I started writing new songs and uh, s like stuff past this record and I just started to gain more and more objectivity, I was like, oh, no, this is the way I have to do it. Like, because now I'm getting into a rhythm that works for me. And now I'm really like hitting my stride with this. And it doesn't feel daunting. It feels like I'm like I have all these tools at my disposal. And I'm yeah, really like, like taking advantage it, yeah. of it. Yeah. Very cool. And yeah, the record came out great. So it's cool to see that that system is working well for you. Thanks. I wanted to talk about the two uh, singles that were released on the record. Uh, Pantomime, it's the second single from the album, addresses a very specific thing about how a lot of people advocate for marginalized groups in their public lives, but then don't make any effort to look inward and address their own harmful behavior in their private lives. And I was just wondering if when you were writing that song lyrically, were there certain examples that came to mind that inspired the song in particular? I think it, I think that's a pretty like general I don't know. I think with me and with other like yeah. people of color that was a pretty general sentiment uh following yeah. like the 2016 election. Yeah. You know, protests stuff like that and then it's it stayed relevant in in 2020 and it's stayed yeah, relevant since then so i i think that feeling is i don't think there's anything that i would like specifically point at i think it's like something that i just started to realize i had been seeing over and over again my entire life um and i think unfortunately that's like a that's a lot of people's experience and it's not like just because you're somebody that's aware of how that's happening and somebody that is ultimately like affected by it, it doesn't mean that you're not like taking part in it as well. So I don't, I think anything, I, I never wanted anything on this record to be like accusatory because I don't think that's helpful and I don't yeah. think I'm the person to like 
be making <laughs> accusations about anybody's morality or whatever. Um, so they're all like, in, I, I would say introspective first and foremost. And then that obviously spreads out into communities and the world at large and whatever. Yeah, and Fan for Love, the lead single, uh, is a song that you kind of dive into your own songwriting process uh, thematically in the song. Uh, you address your compulsion to try and hide the true meaning of your work behind layers of figurative language. And it also confronts the dissonance between that compulsion and the intense desire to be seen and heard uh, that drives you to write songs in the first place. Uh, I guess from the benefit of looking back on the process of writing this record now, I'm just curious, you know, after writing this record, recording this record and putting it out, you know, presumably now you're working on new songs. I was wondering how you find yourself handling that uh, dissonance now in your songwriting, now that you have a full album under your belt. I think I decided to just lean into <laughs> I think that I think now <laughs> I'm like really I feel like I have stuff that I want to say and I'm like totally just uh indulging in like diving into being like incredibly personal in my songwriting. And so I think the the next release that I have, whatever the EP, LP, I don't know really what the next release will be. Um, but the next batch of songs that I have, I think are way more personal, which is when I started this project, never what I imagined happening. That's not the trajectory I imagined. Um, but I think it just felt more, it ended up feeling more gratifying um, to just be like super, super honest about how I feel and like what is wrong than to try and um, be really vague. And it's definitely, as I mentioned earlier, dark sounding record that reflects a lot of personal things with you specifically. So do you see this album as kind of documenting a specific time in your life? And to build off of that, as you were kind of alluding to, now that you're on the other side of this release, what do you see your future output sounding like in comparison? Um, yeah, I think this is a really specific record. And it is like so locked into that time of my life for me. Um, so it's a little odd looking back at it because it's it's been about four years since I started writing it. Um, and I, I do still really love it and I'm happy with that. I wouldn't be putting it out otherwise, but I look back on it and I do think like, oh, I, I know exactly what I was listening to, what like I wanted, I felt like I wanted to accomplish musically at that point. And it's like, it's so different from my goals and aspirations and like where I see myself in 10 years now that it feels a little bit um, like alien or something, but I like, it feels like a different person, but I understand it and I still do yeah. really appreciate it. Um, but I think the new, as far as like new music, I'm not, 
I'm not super interested in making like another guitar record really for a while at least like I have I have this background in production and I went to school for uh you know for music technology and I I've been making like electronic music for a while um and this I had when I was in school I had kind of taken a bit of a break from like playing in bands and stuff and this was kind of this return to that via these artists that I felt were like rock musicians that kind of dealt in this experimentalism that I was interested in and this like pop songwriting that I was interested in um and so it kind of combined these two things that I love and I think that the new music is taking it further in a like a more electronic space a more experimental space a a pop space an ambient space just like these other kind of like outside genres that i feel like have more room for innovation and for experimentation and stuff do do you feel like the guitar is limiting in that sense then since you're ready to kind of move on from from it for a little while do you feel like like, kind of letting it go you can i think centering the guitar as the primary instrument is limiting in in songwriting yeah. is limiting for me um i think there's probably tons of people that it's not and that are doing way more interesting things that i could ever do on it with it but i think for me personally um i'm finding it limiting at the moment so i'm using it as needed and that's kind of the like um the uh, attitude that I've adopted about instrumentation on a whole for right now and for like writing the new songs that I'm writing, it's just using whatever instrument works for the context. So it's not that there won't be any guitar on any new things. It's just that it's going to be as needed. It's not going to be a focal point as much. Um, So, you know, it's going to just be, all kinds of stuff, synthetic, acoustic, just like whatever really gets the job done. And I feel like um, translates the songwriting the best. So I love reaction. Probably my favorite song on the record. Really cool, like turning point on the record. I found the lead in from Fain to Love to Reaction. So first I wanted to talk about reaction specifically and then kind of talk about that cool transition between the two tracks and its specific placement kind of like right after the midpoint of the album so reaction is this really like urgent sounding song nicely placed uh, sequencing wise uh, just after the midpoint of the album really injects like a bolt of energy uh towards the uh second half of the record so just tell us a little bit about that track um well for <laughs> first of all you'll have to i think Thank Jeff from Felt. I'll tell him that you said that because he, I actually wanted to cut that song because, not because (laughs) I don't like it, but just because I like, I think so much later looking back on the record, I was like, I really want to keep around the stuff that feels more delicate and feels like more true to who I am now. And I didn't really want it to be this like aggressive record. Um, Yeah. 
but Jeff really, Jeff really pushed it, it, to keep it, that yeah. one in, and he yeah. was like, and the placement and everything, he was like, we'll keep it in and we're going to put yeah. it here because it's going to like, it's going to lift that second half of the record. So <laughs> I guess he was, I guess he was right. Um, <laughs> Maybe he called me actually yeah. and I'm just spinning some it's of pr- his propaganda. Right um, but I swear to God now. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, do really like that song though, despite that I was trying to cut it. You know, you don't try to cut songs because you don't like them most of the time. It's yeah. just because of you want it's just vibe of the record. Um Yeah. But yeah, that was a really early one I wrote, probably. Probably like second or third. Um and that one, I mean that that one is one of the ones that is more accusatory as well which is why i think i was like maybe we keep it off the record because that one is really just about an experience that i don't um understand or partake in which is like this kind of devil's advocate like keyboard warrior type of person um yeah i guess it it happens in real life as well so i it's not even just like keyboard warrior it really is like the person that wants to play devil's advocate about everything, especially when they're like the person that is from like has never experienced depression in their life, but they really want to be yeah. like, well, I'm just asking questions. It's just like really just to get a just to get a rise out of people. I think is like, Lamest yeah, it's ever. just such an unfortunate, like sad <laughs> uh, person to be. <laughs> And I don't relate to that. That's the one, one of the few songs on the record where there is no introspection. I do not relate to being that person at all. <laughs> Fuck that person. Seriously. <laughs> but I did love the transition between Fane for Love because Fane for Love has this intense ending that kind of like cuts off slash quickly fades out. And then there's like a couple of seconds of silence mm. at the end. And then reaction is just boom accelerates really quickly yeah totally something i thought was cool was that you cited the production of janet jackson's rhythm nation as can and control two of her albums from the late 1980s as influences Uh, what specifically struck you about those records uh production wise that you brought into uh scrutiny um i mean i was listening to control a ton around that time and i just I think there's this thing where when you're making a certain type of music that's like dark and you're using electronic drums and stuff, people always want to cite. And maybe it's because they feel it's a more direct influence, but I feel like we give the benefit of the doubt to bands like Depeche Mode and um, other kind of like like pioneering industrial bands as being like the biggest influencers for that kind of music, but like the influence, the like really taste-making producers that are black that did a ton of that stuff never really get called out because genre-wise it just, it's never, it's always put into a a different category and there's no, oh, there's no possibility of cross-pollination between these things, which of course we all know isn't true because you look at, the influence of reggae on post-punk and you look at, you know, the yeah. influence of like 
Motown on whatever Roxy music and Brian Eno and all of this stuff. So we know that that's not true. Um, and I just think that those are like, to me, production wise, those are like seminal industrial records in the same way that something like a Depeche Mode record is. They just hit so hard. The drums are like so otherworldly and mechanical. Um, and that, I mean, that was a huge influence for me. Like I've listened, I put on Janet Jackson records more than I put on Depeche Mode records by far. I love Depeche Mode, but if I'm like craving that kind of thing, like that's what I'm going to put out nine times out of 10 is like Rhythm Nation or Control. Do you have a favorite song on this record or a song that you either loved the backstory or process of making specifically? Hmm. It's hard. Um, I really view the thing like... One. as one item it's yeah. like really hard for me to separate things out it, but it definitely flows like that yeah too, I, will I say. think it does flow like one cohesive piece. i think failure though like sticks out for me it was the first song i ever put out it was actually a song that i recorded way after all of these other songs um and i really think that's simply because like the the mix is just a little bit better. The production to me is just a little bit like cleaner and punchier. It's uh, my voice. I'm singing a little bit higher. I've kind of like figured out what works for me a little bit more than the rest of the record. And I'm still, you know, figuring out my voice and stuff like that. But to me, failure is like, I think it's really just recency bias. Like that one sticks out to me because... I think there's just all of this stuff that is like executed a little bit closer to my vision than maybe some of the other songs on the record. Totally. And you do, I did want to ask you about your, your singing voice and how you've developed it because it's really unique and powerful sounding. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just kept trying until I found a place where I could hit notes. And I think there was a point in my life where I was trying to sing, um, higher and that didn't like way higher because I was listening to whatever probably My Bloody Valentine and stuff and I was like okay the thing to do is to whisper in a high voice um and that just couldn't that just never worked for me because my voice is so low naturally that I just couldn't like get up there um and like hold a tune really and so I I think at some point I maybe overcorrected a bit into being like, well, I have a low voice, so I've got to sing low. Um, and I think now I'm starting to find this middle ground where, I mean, it is, it truly is just like, the worst thing about it is that everybody is exactly right when they're like, your voice is an instrument like everything else and you have to practice. Otherwise you're never going to get better because the more and more I like recorded music and just like went through the exercises of writing songs that I would probably throw away and stuff like that, even between this record and the new music that I'm making now that I'm happy with, there's been a million things that I've written and recorded vocals for and thrown away. So uh, through all of that, I think, it's just every recording is a little bit better. Um, it's like anything else. It's just practicing and exercising, you know, that muscle. Okay, so now we're going to hear the results of that practicing and exercising those muscles. We're going to hear some tracks 
from Fashion Club's new record, Scrutiny. We're going to hear Pantomime, Fane for Love, and Reaction.
just heard three songs from fashion club's new record scrutiny we heard pantomime bane for love and reaction the album is out now on felt records and you can grab yourself a limited edition vinyl copy via fashionclubla.bandcamp.com so now we can talk about the records that you selected Really good ones, I noticed, except for one <laughs> album. These were all released within the same uh, a six-year period of 1984 to 1990. Oh, interesting. Great six-year period for music, though. So I think all of my favorite Oh, except for Hounds of Love, except for Hounds of Love, huh? Is that the one that's... Brian Eno, oh, uh, Eno. Eno's was 77. When is yeah. Hounds of Love? 85. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess that's later, a little bit later than I thought. <laughs> but first, first up, you picked off, uh, picked a Mad Men's Honey by Wire off of their 1987 album, The Ideal Copy. Yeah, you know this is an era of Wire where they're kind of moving away from the early sounds of their post-punk records, really using synths a lot and things like that. Yeah, 154 is my favorite Wire record. And I th- I thought about That's a I thought one. about putting Map Ref on there, just because I think great it's like song. a flawless pop song. Um, but, and I think that's what I love about Wire is that, and what I really like took away from that band to when I was making this record is like writing a kind of like harsh, dark song, but getting a little bit of the like pop stuff the like pop melody in there because call i feel like colin newman always has that that like pop melody that really just gets stuck in your head and feels so like satisfying um but that song madman's honey 
I just, I love that record. I love the like later Wire records. I think they're so weird and interesting and like don't get enough credit. And his solo records too, like Commercial Suicide, I yeah. I love. I think it's such an interesting record. Like just all of these weird kind of artificial strings and stuff and just no drums and on some of those tracks. It's just very bizarre. Um, but there's like a direct, like that pluck sound in Madman's Honey like kind of directly influenced uh phantom english that song and yeah. honestly scrutiny like that those like plucky all of those really like short percussive sounds on the record are really like i was just running this song over and over again i was like i love this sound like this is so there's something about this that's so gratifying it just like works Then next up, you selected Sweetest Taboo by Sade off of her 1985 album, Promise. Yeah. Um, I love Sade. I love, uh, I love Stronger Than Pride. That's my favorite record by her. And there's a million songs on there that are just like, affect me so much. But I do, I love Sweetest Taboo as well. It, you know, it's one of the hits. I just... I, w- I have such vivid memories of driving to like driving to school in the nineties and my mom driving me to school and listening to uh, what was like the smooth jazz and R and B channel in Los Angeles called 94 seven, the wave. And it was always, it was like smooth operator, sweetest taboo. <laughs> um, probably like your love is King. Like just, all of the Sade hits and I always loved it so much. Um, and then I kind of didn't listen to it for a while. And then probably my first year of college, um, I was doing, I had this radio show on KXLU and, um, my friend came on to like guest DJ and put on a Sade record. And I was like, Whoa, really? And he was like, yeah, (laughs) trust me. It's great. And, listening to it I was just like yeah this is so amazing I think she I there's something about the way that she writes about like sadness and mournfulness and like love and all of this stuff that has the opportunity to be so like overwrought and corny but I feel like is just so sincere and beautiful and affecting um and I think, she, I think there's like been kind of this. Uh, I think people are coming around on it, but I think for a while there was just oh, like yeah. fatigue. Totally, yeah. Um, but I think you know she's Shade is like a, I think pretty timeless, sustaining artist. Like the songs are just beautiful. Yeah beautiful once in a generation voice too i feel like nobody can really yeah. do it like her i'm always in I awe love of her. i mean she is she's iconic her voice her style like everything about her 
Um, and the I love the production on this song specifically. The drums just sound like so huge, and that like rain, that intro rain sound. It's just like yes. all. It's so yeah. like. It's just it's all just so like vibey, right? That's such a lame word, but it is really that like that's <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. It just has like ambience to it that is so like cool. Next, you selected No One Receiving by Brian Eno off of his 1977 album, Before and After Silence. Yeah. um, This was honestly choosing one Brian Eno song was a hard one uh, because there's like on those first four records, like Before and After Science, um, Here Come the Warm Jets, Another Green World, and then taking tiger mountain there's just like a million songs that have like deeply deeply affected me either as like a producer or a songwriter um but i just remember this being one of the first ones that i heard and was like this is this is how i want like a rock sound i just want it to be like so it just like set a new bar for what i expected from like this kind of guitar music. I was just like, I need it to be so off kilter and unexpected and like weirdly poppy, but like so disarming at the same time. It's just everything about it is great. Those like weird guitar bends, the drum fills, like the placement of the snares, Phil Collins playing drums. (laughs) It's like everything about it is just like, just kind of blew my mind apart when I first heard it. I was like, I can't believe the rhythm of this song or like the tonality of it, the way his vocals are produced. It's great. I, I like, I, I feel like this is the song whenever I'm setting up like a, like a monitoring system or something, <laughs> I'll like put this song on yeah. because I know it's so like, so out, intimately. Yeah. And then I Would Die For You by Prince and the Revolution, the fourth single from their 1984 album, Purple Rain. Yeah, I mean, song is just crazy. It's just one of, it's just one of the craziest <laughs> songs ever. It's like, it's amazing. It's, it's like transcendently good. I don't, I was, I saw you had controversy on there and I was like, maybe I pick something that's not so like, the Prince song. And I was just like, no, like I would die for you is one of the best songs ever. I have to put that one on there. It really just like, it's short and sweet. And like the lyrics are amazing. The drum beat is so cool. It's yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's this amazingly euphoric song. I think that's thematic kind of, 
across like a lot of these songs is that there is like moments of euphoria in all of them. They're like weird songs, but there's definitely moments yeah. of euphoria in all of them. Like Madman's Honey even like has this kind of like tension. It starts out feeling so minor and then it once the chord content comes in, it really switches into this major feel and it it has this like strange tension with the drums and the vocal melody kind of breaks at some point in this really like satisfying way whereas i would die for you is just no tension it's just released the entire time <laughs> which is amazing Ice Blink Lung Luck by Cocktoo mm-hmm. Twins. Yeah. Amazing track. Um The I mean Fane for Love started lyrically was a song that I wrote thinking about Elizabeth Fraser. Because I had been reading about Cocktoo Twins and like how the longer they went, the more obscure her lyrics got and I I mean I don't think anybody can say the real reason why that is except for her but you know you hear like whatever it just seemed like there was some level to that where it was like I don't want to be too clear because I don't want anything that I say being misconstrued or I don't want you know whatever I was just thinking about that process of like it's of the I was thinking about the cocktail twins thing the like really obscuring your lyrics and I was like you know what that sounds nice like she's got the right idea (laughs) (laughs) um and then just exploring why I felt that way and all of that that's how that song came about but again just amazing pop melody like this whole record is just really beautiful the guitar tones on it are amazing there's Nothing, still to this day, I don't think anybody has really, like, hit that perfect um, balance of, like, really dreamy, washed out uh, music and, like, super obscured lyrics, but then, like, there is just this intense sense of melody that comes through so hard because I think a lot of the music that has come after that that has kind of like borrowed from that same palette misses out on the really like insane sense of melody that she has when she sings and how like strong her vocal melodies are and how much they stick with you yeah for sure definitely stick with with anyone who listens to them. It's like, I I mean, it's so powerful to be able to write essentially wordless songs, or like, I'm sure they're not wordless, but songs that that people can't really decipher the words to, but will still sing along to. Just because the melody (laughs) is so, like, earwormy. Yeah, and elicit such deep feelings from people. I mean, you can't listen to this song or any other number of their songs and not like walk away like 
feeling something. Yeah. I mean, they, they have that effect on listeners. Totally. I've cried to Cocteau Twin songs where I didn't even know what they were saying. Like, that's <laughs> insane. Uh, there's not, there's definitely not another, like, band that is, that, whose lyrics are this indecipherable that I've cried to. And then last but not least, Watching You Without Me by Kate Bush off of her 1985 album, Hounds of Love. Yeah, I I love, love, love Kate Bush. I love Hounds of Love. I love The Dreaming. Um, those are like two hugely influential records for me. Um, and I love... All of the, like, there was a really long time, I feel like, where I would just listen to the first half of Hounds of Love with all of the the hits. Like, Hounds of Love, Cloud Busting, obviously running up that hill and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then there was some point where I was like, you know what, I think it's time to start listening to the B-side of this record. <laughs> yeah. And, um, Gotta flip it over once yeah. in a while. And this song came on and I was just really... <laughs> taken by it i love any song that is the same all the way through the same chords like that's that always just really does it for me when you can create the sense of like movement and like deep emotion and dynamic but like keep the same two chords the entire song it's like that's perfect to me and that's what this song is it's just like it feels so dynamic and like you can sense the chorus coming and it's like so gratifying like I've been talking about with a lot of these songs but it is just like back and forth between those two chords at the same time and it just kind of like plot along but it doesn't feel like it ever is just like boring or anything like that. Pascal, so great speaking with you about your new record, Scrutiny. It's your debut solo album as Fashion Club, and it is out now via Felt Records. Everyone, you could get it on limited edition Chapel Red Vinyl, which is a cool like vinyl splatter kind of thing at fashionclubla.bandcamp.com. Thank you so much for uh, speaking Thank with you. me. We're going to play one last track from Scrutiny. This is the final song on the album, All In Time. 